You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So good to be with you again today. I have an amazing guest that's going to be with us in just a minute. I want to give you all a few updates because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Dan Duvall, how is your wife doing? Your pregnant wife? Well, I'm glad you asked. My my pregnant wife is doing very, very well. God is blessing and we are anticipating the arrival of our baby boy here sometime at the very end of April or beginning of May. And so thank you for all of your well wishes. We continue to cover everything in prayer and we are believing God for supernatural delivery in Jesus' name. Now, with that said, I do have a couple of things to let you know. There will be two Dandeval sightings outside of the uh, realm of Houston here in March. And that is going to be taking place first at His Call Ministries in Missouri. And you can check them out at hiscallministries.net. There'll be some details about that in the show description. So you can follow up there and email them for more details if you're interested in attending. Also, the following weekend, I will be with Luke 418 Ministries in Austin. And that will be March 20th on Saturday. And you can look up more details in the show notes as well. And uh, follow the link to sign up if you happen to be in the Austin area. We are going to be having a great time. It's going to be power-packed. It'll be good preaching. It'll be good activation. And there'll probably be some deliverance because that seems to happen everywhere I go. In any case... We are also making strides on the live church services we'll be having here in Houston. I mean, uh, we're, we've been working on it. There's been some uh, significant progress we've been making. We've been believing God, and we are really excited about some developments. There will be more news to follow, but for now, just stay tuned. I am going to also say thank you for those of you that are continuing to support us here at Bride Ministries. We're doing a lot. We are continuing to reach hundreds um, with our online church every Sunday evening. You can sign up, uh, just join in at 7 p.m. right through our website at bridemovement.com. We have made an entire institute available, if you didn't know, bridemovementinstitute.com, or just access it right through the website, bridemovement.com. We have an app. If you haven't checked it out yet, go to the iTunes Store or Google Play and download Bride Ministries International app. It's just right there for you. On the app, you will find all of our most recent sermons for free, podcasts, linked, prayers, linked. We've also linked the Deliverance Portal. Did you know we have a Deliverance Portal? It's where you can go anywhere in the world for absolutely free and have me pray all of these power-packed Deliverance prayers over you. And if you don't know where to start, we have assessments that you can use to map all of your issues and problems to our prayer resources. Uh, All of this and more, because now... There are trained and selected coaches available at our website, either on the ministry page at bridemovement.com, or you can just go straight to coach.bridemovement.com and meet 
the train and selected coaches, which uh, most of which are graduates of the 2020 DID Coach Mentorship Program. By the way, we're training many more folks this year in the class of 2021. We are doing a lot. Why? Because we want to become one of the most resource-rich ministries to survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control agenda, uh, sex trafficking, and so forth. We uh, believe that God has plans for the most broken, and we've signed up to be a major part of it. So, folks, you are sowing into an ever-expanding kingdom exploit. And by the way, did I mention we have not given up on our agenda to pursue survivor housing? In fact, we are going to be uh, this year setting up that, um, at least on paper, um, and hopefully acquiring some land so that by uh, next year we can be uh, building and actually launching the program. So we are we, we, we are moving along. It's it's becoming more and more fully formed as a thought and an idea and a concept. And so uh, you could sow into us at bridemovement.com or through the app. And we are so grateful for those of you that continue to bless us. With that said, we're going to get right to the podcast. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. All right. Now, um, we are going to be starting a new series this week, and it is on the subject of shame and overcoming shame. Now, I, 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 I am going to admit that I'm stepping it down a, a gear. I'm like doing a little bit of a gear shift downward because it's been intense. I mean, how many of you know that 12 weeks on exposing Kabbalah followed by four weeks on exposing artificial intelligence and the harassment that targeted individuals are undergoing is like a lot of data. It's like a lot to process. And man, you know, as much as you guys have been processing, I've been drowning under the weight of like all this research that I've had to do. I'm not used to it. I was telling my... Uh, wife, you know, God has blessed me. Oftentimes, it doesn't take me too long to put together notes to speak and to preach on on, on a lot of things. But man, we're talking five, six, seven, eight hours of research per, like just to get it all. I'm telling you what. So, so we are going to be talking about shame. For a little bit, and, uh, and, and that's because it is vitally important for us to break free of this this snare. Um, following on the heels of this, I uh, have a suspicion that we're going to be getting into the heavens and um, going into some brand new territory, to be honest, because of the downloads that I've been getting. And so we may be really starting off next year on uh, the heavens and engaging it from a unique perspective. We'll just put it that way. Now, why are we talking about shame? Well, shame is an enemy of the children of God. Okay. Let me just start there. Shame is an enemy of the children of God. And the journey 
into understanding bondage to shame, I believe, can be looked at by taking a journey into understanding historically one of the greatest enemies of the children of God. And this jerk is named Molech. And so as, as we get into this subject of shame, we're, we're going to begin by learning a little bit about this guy, what the connection is, and how we've been duped. Now, the first time that we meet Molech in the Bible is in Leviticus chapter 20. The Bible says, beginning in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will set my face against that man and will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man, when he gives some of his descendants to Molech and they do not kill him, then I will set my face against that man and his family, and I will cut him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with him to commit harlotry with Molech. In other words, God does not like this guy and with good reason. With good reason. Molech was the chief god of a group called the Phoenicians, also the Canaanites. And he's even mentioned as a god of the Ammonites. So there's a whole lot of groups in the Middle East area, at least in biblical times, that served this god, right? And, 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 and Molech was a recipient of human sacrifice. Many of you are familiar with this aspect, right? He, he would receive firstborn children. Now, this is why it's so, I mean, this, this thing is really bad, okay? Because we, you talk about passing your children to the fire to Molech, and, and, and a lot of people are familiar with that. 2 Kings 23, verse 10. What did that mean? Well, they would often have the statue of Molech, and this, this statue would have hollow arms, and it would hold them out in front of it like that. And the arms were hollow because they would put kindling inside of the arms and light it on fire. Now, because the arms are metal, they get really, really hot, Okay. So these scold, it's like, it's like a, a grill. It's like a grill. And so what they would do is they would take their infants, firstborn children, and put it on the grill. And it would cook the child. Screaming, crying, skin melting flesh i mean this this was horrific child sacrifice it is sickening and so god is like don't do that this is molech and child sacrifice under that molech cult now as you follow the story of molech through the bible 
you, you find that in first Kings chapter 11, verse seven, it says, then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab on the hill that is east of Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. So here we go, right? David saves up all of this for the building of the temple to Yahweh God. And then he turns everything over to Solomon to, to build the temple. And Solomon leads Israel into a golden age. And then he begins to do everything that God didn't tell him to do. He, he, he started to buy horses. He took many wives. And he really tanks spiritually. Now, part, part of his tanking spiritually is self-evident. Here he is building high places to these foreign gods. Now, some people would suggest, well, he probably built those in response to the many wives that he took. Maybe that's why he shouldn't have taken so many wives. So they're bringing in all their belief systems. And he's, so now, now Israel is being brought into Molech sacrifices and, and, and worship. This is a big problem for God, obviously. Um, and there is a reform that happens years later under a guy named Josiah. In 2 Kings 23.10, which says, And he defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. So, so Josiah tears this thing down. He's like, we're, we're, we're done putting our children on the grill to Molech to make them pass through the fire. Praise God for Josiah. Right? And... Um, this is something very interesting to think about. The offering of children to Molech is a blasphemy. And this is one of the reasons why is because it's a counterfeit first fruits offering. Instead of looking to God who provides us Jesus as his first fruits offering, taking away the sins of the world, Molech takes the firstborn children of God, right? God's sending his firstborn, but I'm going to take your firstborn. So this blasphemy is compounded when we understand that the name Molech is actually derived from two words. And you can look this up. It has been pointed out that the name Molech is derived from Melech, M-E-L-E-K, which means king, and Bosheth, which means shame. Catch that? In other words, Molech is the king of shame. Boom, right? So, so shame has always been an enemy of the children of God. That's the point. Shame is your enemy. It, it's not your friend. And some people, they want to live life in partnership with shame. And I, I'm not saying that all shame is akin to Molech worship. Okay, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying, isn't it interesting that this guy's name actually means king of shame? Because we're going to be talking about shame and how it is an enemy of the children of God, how it is an, an enemy of our inheritance in Christ, how it is an enemy of the finished work of God that he is trying to work out in our lives. Unfortunately, thanks to religion, we don't always have 
an accurate view of shame. Sometimes we look at shame as a justifiable way to reach a desired end. Okay. Um, just like Israelites offered their children on the altars of Molech, we've offered up the children of God, including ourselves, on the altars of shame. And so we need to talk about it. We, we're actually putting ourselves and others on this, on this altar, on, on, on the grill. And uh, we're playing the shame game. And uh, we need to be free of this bondage. Now, what does the word shame actually mean? It is the painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior, right? Now, before we go any further, I am going to answer a question, right? Because I like to uh, think that I am biblically literate, right? Well, I just, don't, I just don't pick up on something and just start saying stuff that I actually search it out first. And then I try to ground it out. And sometimes you end up balanced. And that's the goal, right? We, we take a holistic look at an issue and you realize herein lies balance. So the question is, can shame ever play a redemptive role? Now, is shame always 100% bad or are there times where it's actually playing a, a redemptive role, right? Because if we're going to get delivered from bondage to shame, then we have to understand, well, what is the biblical conversation happening around it holistically? So here's what the Bible says. In Jeremiah 50 verse 2, we find that God will judge his enemies. And his judgment will bring shame upon the heads of his enemies. And that is an indisputable fact. Okay. Um, one example, right? It says, declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. Merodach is broken in pieces. Her idols are humiliated. Her images are broken in pieces. So, so God will shame his enemies. Okay, I'm not going to make any qualms about it. It's the fact. And is that a redemptive thing? Well, Bell happens to be a dragon. Um, and and um, that was an idol. And, you know, there, there are enemies of God that deserve to be shamed. I believe that we're here to shame the devil. <laughs> okay, so, so what we're talking about is our bondage to illegitimate shame at the end of the day that what, what are we getting delivered from right now here's another aspect of shame that we need to talk about because god actually has an aspect of judgment extended to israel in the old testament when they made themselves to be the enemies of yahweh and he would move to bring shame upon them this is hard to hear and hard to teach but you can't get around the clear reading of the text. This actually does happen in the Old Testament. 
For instance, Jeremiah 23, verses 39 and 40. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you and forsake you and the city that I gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and perpetual shame, which you shall not, which shall not be forgotten. Like that is actually God and he actually does say that, right? So while I would like to say that under no circumstances does God uh, put shame on anyone, that's not true. <laughs> like, because they are the enemies of God and, and there is a shame that's going to come upon them because of the consequences of what they're doing. That's the word, right? But here's what happens. Um, we, we, we take stuff like this and ideas like this and we think, okay, let's use shame to put people into behavioral modification to make people do what we want. And here comes the devil using shame to put you in bondage to a past that is already under the blood of Jesus. See, shame is not something that is used as part of a redemptive process in these contexts. It's, it's a judgment. It's a punishment and a consequence for making oneself an enemy of God. Now, these parties, they really didn't have any intent on repenting or drawing nearer to God. As a matter of fact, they took Jeremiah and threw him in a pit. And then they went into captivity. So this is an important point. Now, Christians, right, we are in a different situation because when you talk about Christians, many of us are operating under shame, but we're in shame to things that are under the blood of Jesus. We're, we're, we're actually in shame regarding our past we're in shame regarding our memories we're in shame regardless and it becomes nothing more than a bondage to us and this is where we have to draw the line um now are there other contexts of shame that the bible discusses well yeah actually there are you know shame has a lot of different contexts that it can be deployed in um one actually does count shame as a good thing, right? When is that happening? Well, for instance, in the book of Acts, the, uh, the apostles are being brought before the council. And it says in Acts 5.41, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Interesting. But what needs to be noted in this kind of a situation is that shame is not being equated with identity and limitation. They are actually manifesting their role, their call as the sons of God, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And what they're going through is not identity to them. It's like, yeah, praise God that that happened. You know, I, I, I'm a walking testimony of his, of his glory. I, I'm going to live my life. And it doesn't matter what people think or say, right? But again, that's a different context than the shame that is holding many of us in bondage and captivity. It's not the same conversation. Now, um. Continuing the conversation around shame, Paul actually uses this word, the, the, the Apostle Paul, and he uses it a number of times in his epistles when he brings correction to the church. And a matter of fact, 
Paul does say some things are to their shame. You know, working your way through the Bible can be interesting because you get such a complete picture. And sometimes it's a little uncomfortable as you're getting that complete picture because you're learning things that you wish you could explain away more easily. But here's what the apostle actually says. He says, dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels how much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. So someone says, you know, well, God doesn't trade on shame. And someone else will come by and say, well, Paul did. <laughs> and if Paul could shame you, maybe all the preachers should shame you. And, and you know what? There are whole denominations where that's actually the culture, Right? You go to church and you get shamed. You get sin consciousness. You get, you're a no good, low down, worthless sinner saved by grace. Look what you did yesterday. You know, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. And we're like, whoa, yeah, I'm so, so small and so petty. And we go into this false identity under shame, shame, shame. And and, and we read in the Bible how Paul is like, shame on you, right? It's like, maybe that's how it's supposed to work. But if it's not the way it's supposed to work, then what's actually happening here? Well, let me explain. Let me explain. The word translated shame here is entropa. It actually means shame <laughs> or to arouse shame. That's literally what it means. So what happens, though, is that Paul, who is a father in the faith is informing the house of God about the things that bring shame upon them. In other words, he's saying, let me help you understand how you are bringing shame upon your own head. Let's re recast this. Okay. You have a three and a half year old kid. Okay. He's out of diapers, but he takes a diaper out of the trash and puts it on himself. And then he runs outside. Junior, stop. Don't you realize that what you're doing is going to bring shame on your own head? Don't put on a dirty diaper. Right. So as a parent, he is informing the body of Christ what they are doing that is bringing shame upon their own heads. He's not trying to shame them into behavioral modification. What he is doing is fathering them to take the shame off of their lives and off of their body. It's a completely different perspective than what some of us have been exposed to or have been abused under. 
Okay. When, when I'm dealing with people and, and, and someone repents to me of, of something that, you know, they've been messing around with or whatever. And it's like, all right, it comes out. Boom. There it is. I don't shame them for that. It's like, okay, praise God. Now let's put that under the blood. Let's talk about how we move forward from here. Some people think that, you know, religion is all about shaming people and, and trying to get people to cry. <laughs> Some, I've, I've seen preachers, they, they don't think that they preached effectively until people are so ashamed of themselves that they are weeping. Now, sometimes genuine conviction does produce weeping and that's okay. But when people are just so ashamed and feel so bad about themselves that they're crying, that that's not what true fatherhood produces. Now, here's the evidence. In other words, 1 Corinthians 4.14 actually says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. This, this is the heart of the apostle, right? When it comes to things that produce shame, he's not trying to shame people. He's trying to deliver people from shame, <laughs> But if a person is doing something to bring shame upon their own head, that needs to be pointed out by a father figure in the faith. And the same goes for God. Romans 10 verse 11 says, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Now, it's one thing to be an enemy of God, to be fighting against the body, fighting against Jesus, and lose, and then be put into shame. Okay, that's a category over here. We talked about it. It's another thing to be a child of God that is literally doing their best and living under a low-hanging ceiling, feeling like vermin under the weight of shame that is rewritten your entire identity of who you are in his kingdom. That, that Those are two totally different categories. And when you're in this category, you are in need of a deliverance because you're living under something you don't belong under. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 61, verse seven, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And you will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. In other words, when you begin to understand the heart of the Father and the heart of Jesus for his children, it is a heart to remove the bondage to shame. 
in their heart to remove the bondage to shame, to take away shame, to take away reproach, to bring in redemption, and to connect people to the truth of their identity in his kingdom. However, shame has been a major part of the bondage that many believers are operating under. And we have to talk about, right? Uh, and, and we're going to talk about several points. And we're going to probably talk about some more points in the next message. But I want to begin on the subject of shame being used in the body of Christ for behavioral modification. Because like I said, shame, guilt, and condemnation have worked their way into our basic philosophy of how we deal with people, right? So when I preach, you know, I was told to make people feel as bad about themselves as possible. You know, there's a lot of preaching that has gone forth that's very focused on sin, because the, the and, and this comes from a, a, a an ideology, right? Called a reduced gospel. Jesus Christ died so we could go to heaven when we die. Therefore, all of earth is a preparation so we can go to heaven. That's that's the thing. We're gonna go to heaven. It's not like we're already there. <laughs> oh, that's too radical, right? We're going to go there. So I want to get you to the finish line in the best condition possible. So our whole journey of Christianity is basically limited to getting all of the sin out of our lives and then keeping it out. But that's the low-hanging ceiling. We're not talking about identity. We're not talking about manifesting. We're not talking about engaging in the courts and engaging in the realms of God's glorious kingdom, engaging in Christ Jesus, um, uh, you know, coming into uh, exploits in the earth, you know, taking territory in different mountains and all kinds, like that, that is not part of the reduced gospel. It's just sit in the four walls and be very, very holy. And, and, and holy is interpreted as, just feeling really bad about all the things you do. So you're so focused on the sin issue because that's the big, big thing. So, so we just preach about that and we have people repent every week. Just keep focusing on where you're screwing it up and feel bad about it and then repent. And then we're going to find something else for you to feel bad about and then repent. And we're going to find something else for you and we'll, you know, do sermon series. So when we get back around to what we got you to repent of two years from now and you slipped up there, we're going to get you to feel bad about it all over again. All right. Now, having said that, this shame thing has been used for behavioral modification because the idea is if I can make you feel really bad then I can make you do what I want. So if you feel really, really bad about not showing up for Sunday nights at seven o'clock, then you'll start showing up on Sunday nights at seven o'clock. If you feel really, really bad about not giving a thousand dollar seed 
first week of the month, you'll give a thousand dollars to you the first week of the month. I just need to make you feel enough shame about it and you'll do whatever I want. This is where a lot of religious abuse has actually occurred. But is it right? The answer is no, this is not the heart of the father. It's, It's like when you have people that are coming into their sonship in Christ, God is wanting to take away our shame and give us double honor. That, that's actually his goal. Um, you know, shame has been used. You, you see these situations where people have to get saved all over again every Sunday. They come down, you know, uh, because if you sin, you no longer are going to heaven because the blood of Jesus isn't on you anymore. You shook it off. When you told that white lie or, you know, you, you got mad at your wife, or, now you're not saved anymore. Time to get saved all over again, right? And this creates incredible, extraordinary insecurity. There, there are people that are actually afraid that if they walked out into the street in the middle of the day and got hit by a bus, they might not get to go to heaven because they probably screwed up before they got to church on Sunday to repent and get saved again. I mean, and this is like nonsense stuff, right? So, so shame has been used in the body of Christ for behavioral modification. If you think you need to get saved every Sunday to go to heaven, I guarantee you, you're going to be at my church. <laughs> not the heart of God. Um, There's this strong thing because the Bible does have a strong conversation on sin. And believe me, right? I am not pro-sin. I I teach repentance. I teach righteous living. I believe in it. But I also do not teach sin consciousness where I want you to be more focused on where you're screwing it up than on the grace of God, which has set you free. There's a strong thing that happens where God um, hates sin. And God hates sin because of what it does to people, okay? But in certain teachings, that translates to God hates you because you sin. So then there's shame. And, and in certain places, if anything at all is going wrong in your life and it seeps through your mask, you're to blame. And there's shame being put on you because something in your life is not perfect. Uh, So shame is used in the body of Christ to make people wear a mask. That's very, very well reinforced because as long as I can present like nothing is going wrong in my life then I won't have to deal with shame because the moment that something is going wrong in my life, because we're so sin conscious, I'm in shame. I I can't even reach out to my brothers and sisters in Christ for help because they're all looking at me sideways. The moment I admit something is actually not okay. Of course, the bride ministries, we have so many people with such exhaustive sets of problems. We could never operate under the system. It's not going to work over here. (laughs) And I like it like that. Let's be honest. Let's be real and let's be real with God and let God get real with us. Why not? 
you know, this, so this strong ideology has come through for some people that you aren't good enough for God when you sin. Now, this drives people away from God, right? Oh, there you did it. You screwed up. God hates you. God hates your sin. God wants to smash you like a bug. You know where you're going to go? Right in, you're going you're gonna to hide in the pit. Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves, right? They were ashamed. God said, where are you? <laughs> I was like hiding. He didn't understand how it worked, right? But because we have a high priest who has offered up his own blood as a sacrifice once and for all, we don't have to run away and hide. We run to God. We don't run from him. But how, how are you going to train people to run to God when you're simultaneously teaching them that God hates them when they screw up? You can't do it. It does not work. It is actually antithetical to teaching intimacy and relationship. You know, children don't do well when their parents punish and abuse them for anything they come to their parents with. They learn that their parents are not safe and they do not take anything to their parents. It doesn't matter if they're being molested or abused by somebody. They're not going to tell their parents. They're just not because their parents are not a safe place. So uh, that fear locks people into bondage. And, And so the church is teaching us, you're nothing more than a no good, low down, worthless sinner saved by grace. And if we're really messed up, we get this message. Well, God may have saved you, but you are too messed up for him to use you. (laughs) Now, some people need a season of healing and deliverance before they're ready to serve in their local church. Okay, I'm going to say that. That is true. That is true. But I, I, I mean... God is capable of using every person to some degree if they come to him humbly and receiving of him. You know, so, so, so many times people have been manipulated and modified in the body of Christ through shame, and it has not produced lasting fruit. It's produced masks. It's produced Hiding, false presentation, and and damage, hurt, wounds. And that's why we're talking about it. Now, shame doesn't stop there, right? Uh, We're just... Picking on things, you know, we're actually just just talking about the issue. Uh, Shame is very useful in programming. Now, here at Bride Ministries, we talk about programming all the time, right? We talk about MKUltra programming, government-sponsored mind control programming. We talk about all kinds of cult programming where people are being abused, often ritually, And it is for the end that they are being placed under 
levels of mind control. Shame is a big part of that. Shame is a very big part of the programming. Because, for instance, if a person has to go to a ritual at night, and then they go to church the next morning, and they're told, if you do these things, you go to hell. And then they go to a ritual that night and then do all of those things, and then go to Wednesday night service and get told that if they do these things, they're going to go to hell. And then they go, right, you see, this is called religious programming. There's so much shame around the darkness that the person can never see it or look at it or acknowledge it and stay sane because if they see that, then they're going to hell and they don't know how they're going to live with themselves if they have to contend with burning an eternal fire. So, so you have people that have Christian fronts and a whole lot of programming behind it that's reinforced by an amnesic wall called religious programming. It's based on shame. I am so ashamed of this and I'm so convicted that God will reject me because of this that I will not look at it. I'll just stay dissociated. That's not me. That never happened. Never. No. Mm -mm. And all of this traffic, all of this activity, all of this called access and manipulation is trading right here. And it never gets challenged. Shame. Shame. It's called religious programming. It's based on shame. You know, um, shame is used uh, often, you know, during, right, um, the abuse because, because it locks it in. You know, they, 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 they force the victims to become the perpetrators. There's a lot of shame around that. It locks it in. Um, there's a lot of shame for people that have parts and they begin to meet their parts around the jobs that their parts had in the cult. I mean, you know, I, I, I meet parts and, and they've had some really, really tough jobs. It's like, what was your job? Well, when they gave me the cup full of urine and semen, I had to drink that. It was my job to drink the cup. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible job. It's like, no one wants to admit that. No one wants that to like, so, so when I meet that part of myself that had that job, I'm ashamed of that. So ashamed, in fact, that I want Jesus to cast it down to hell. Get out in the name of Jesus. So, so self-rejection oftentimes is built on a foundation of shame. And self-rejection is the ultimate reinforcement of dissociation, which keeps people locked in their brokenness. People are so ashamed of what their parts have done, they can't even let their parts come to Jesus. I run into this all the time. So shame is used in programming. We could talk about this a long time, but let's move on. Shame ascribes a false identity and anchors a counterfeit label to an individual. You know, uh, what, what, what does that mean? Well, here we go. How about loser, right? <laughs> You're such a loser. That's who you are. 
because this is what happened between the ages of 16 and 18. And you are very ashamed of that, as you should be. Therefore, let's just put a label on you and call you a loser for the rest of your life. Everybody in your family knows you as the loser. Shame reminds you of your past. And you come to Jesus. And you're like, I repent of everything I did between the ages of 16 and 18. Yeah, I had two kids by two different people. Teen pregnancy twice. I'm ashamed of that. But I repent. And it's like, but you still believe you're a loser and it's still being anchored to that. And, and shame ascribes false identity. That's not who you are anymore. But when you go to church and you hear, well, you're just a no good, low down, worthless sinner saved by grace. And you don't read where it says that, you know, we are made more than conquerors in all these things through him which loved us, we have become the righteousness of God in Christ. We are given the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are new creations in him. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming like we miss all that with this reduced gospel. It like reinforces like, yeah, I'm 16 and 18 and I'm such a screw up. Like the rest of my life, I'm grieving. So it's just like, dude, that's so. So shame reminds you of your past in the worst kind of way. It's a counterfeit label. And um, shame will force a person back into broken identity instead of empowering us towards our identity in Christ. Because when I'm so focused on how I screwed up between the ages of 16 and 18, I can't be so convicted of what God is doing right now. God wants me hanging out with angels, preaching to nations, writing books, excelling in my career, doing whatever God might want. It. And it's like, you can't do any of that because you're so busy feeling bad about this. So you keep going back into broken identity. And here's the problem. If you are anchored to broken identity through shame and you ask someone to pray for your breakthrough, it won't really produce much. You have to be able to agree at a subconscious level with the things you are asking people to open up for you through opportunities or prayer or both in the natural and the spiritual. There has to be a subconscious agreement. Otherwise, you will not receive it. And so God needs to get the shame out so he can get the calling in. He needs to get the shame out so he can get the new identity in. You guys ever try to go grocery shopping and buy a whole bunch of new groceries, get back to your house and find all this Tupperware just filled with rotting food that you're too nervous to throw away? And so you're like trying to figure out how you're going to put this new batch of fresh lettuce in, but there's a whole bunch of wilted lettuce in a Tupperware. <laughs> it's in the way. Mac and cheese. It smells bad. You're not going to eat it. It's growing something. It's green. But you got new food, vegetables, milk. It needs to be refrigerated. But there's no, there's no space. Some of you, you're so busy eating out all the time because you're too nervous about cleaning out your refrigerator. So you got to keep eating out. You can't even put new food in the refrigerator 
Eat organic. Why are you eating McDonald's again? I can't go shopping. Why can't you go shopping? Well, you know, it's just too much work. Why is it too much? There's too much junk in my fridge, Dan. Oh, baggage. You're all stopped up. You need to clean out that refrigerator. So, so, so shame is sometimes sitting in our fridge. We need to clean it out. This is a word for some, some, someone out there. Y'all need to clean out your refrigerator. I don't know what this is, but God has a word for you. So clean it out. Just do it. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, so, so uh, we, we need to recognize how shame is an enemy of the children of God. Here's another thing. Shame locks us out of confession and repentance that will lead to our deliverance. Okay. Let's think about Adam and Eve hiding from God in the garden. What will God think if he knows what I've done? What will they think if they know what I've done? That makes us very nervous, right? So oftentimes shame prevents us from confessing and repenting. And then we are locked out of deliverance for whatever that thing may be. Now, this goes a step further for a lot of us. What will I think of me if I know what I've done? Because many of us, because of the uniqueness of Bride Ministries, have a past. And it's dark. It's a dark past. It's not comfortable. And really, I don't want to know what I had to do to survive my past. My family was in a cult. So if I know what I did, will I be able to live with myself? Or will I want to kill myself? I can't tell you guys how many times I've run into this where I begin to talk to an alter personality in someone or a piece, a part, soul part. And I'm like, what happened to you? And, and they don't want to talk. And I say, why don't you want to share? They say, I'm afraid that uh, presenters going to kill themselves if I talk about what I survived. Now this comes back to shame. There are parts of us that are so scared of our response to the shame that we'll have about what they did, they stay silent. And we're looking for, how is the devil breaking into my life? Why do I have so many back doors? Well, it's because of all the darkness that's sitting behind the part of you that doesn't want to share with you what happened because you might kill yourself if they talk. And so we have to break the power of shame here because when a person gets to the place where they actually believe that the finished work of Jesus Christ is enough, that his blood that he shed was enough to cover anything they know they've done or could find out that they've done, 
when they come to a place that they realize that God loves them right now with full knowledge of everything they don't know about themselves and they can rest in that, that's when there's a big shift on the inside. I'm so convicted of God's love for me that suddenly it clicks. He already knows. He already knows that dark thing that I did that I don't even know. So when I think about how will I think of myself when I know this, I can lay that down at the feet of Jesus and say, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you think. And you love me and your blood was enough. So I can know, I can get that memory back. I will be okay. I believe the truth that I have become the righteousness of God in Christ. I believe the truth that I am a new creation. I believe the truth that they have overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. My testimony is not going to be my death, but the death of the enemy. I believe that. This is absolute breakthrough. We have to break the bondage to shame. This is a real bondage. Now I'll tell you, I have a lot to say about shame. There's something I call the shame manipulation cycle, the narcissistic abuse sham, shame and conviction and what the difference is, the way Jesus works. Shame to block a calling, shame to tie us down to sin consciousness, shame to force us into vain imagination. We're going to get to some of this stuff later. You'll have to come back for that. Right now, I am going to pray for you. Out of a prayer in this book called Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth, it's called Freedom from Heavenly Powers. We are going to renounce shame together. Then we're going to have a chat. And so I'm going to pray this over you and over us. And I will periodically ask, do you agree? And um, hopefully you'll say yes. <sighs> so, Father in heaven, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And we renounce shame and serve shame a bill of divorce. We pull up the hidden documents detailing every covenant, contract, certificate, oath, and vow entangling us and command that they be stamped with the blood of Jesus. Do you agree? In the name of Jesus, we pray that your heavenly hosts would be put on assignment to place every part belonging to us that is loyal to shame on temporary lockdown. We pray that those parts would be escorted to the feet of the lion of the tribe of Judah to be purged of their shame components and completely healed and delivered. Do you agree? We now deed shame's territory in us over to the kingdom of God, and we invite you, King Jesus, to take the throne and to rule over this territory with your rod of iron. 
And in the name of Jesus, we now bind all gatekeepers and discover each and every portal access point belonging to shame, its realm, and inheritance. Do you agree? We place the blood of Jesus upon every portal access point and seal them with the Holy Spirit. We declare that they are put to sleep and permanently deactivated. We take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and cut ourselves free from shame, its realm and inheritance in Jesus' name. Do you agree? We return every form of counterfeit inheritance, inclusive of promised wealth, position, status, calling, ability, roots, power, genetic code, seed, and any other form of counterfeit inheritance in Jesus' name. We refuse it and sever ourselves from it and choose to receive our inheritance in Jesus Christ. We renounce all spirit children related to shame and undo all quantum entanglements involved in their creation. We command their judgment and the purging of the realms they occupy by judgment through living water. We also reclaim and receive every part of us that has been imprisoned by shame or in its realm. Do you agree? We appeal to justice and pray that Shame would now reap a hundredfold return for all of the evil sown against us, our ancestors, and all whom we represent in the form of justice and judgment and wrath, arrows and lightning, hailstones, tsunamis of living water, and plundering by the armies of heaven. Do you agree? We now take authority over every evil spirit on the inside of us and around us that has been operating under the authority of shame. <clears throat> we declare that you are discovered, apprehended, bound, pierced through, and thrust out of us for judgment. We declare that you are being sent to the abyss for failed assignment. Do you agree? Lastly, we pray that every spiritual object, tattoo, device, label, jewel, amulet, necklace, earring, crown, ring, bracelet, charm, garment, scepter, marker, power source, tracking, device, system, grid, or branding placed in or around every part of us in order to anchor in shame would be consumed in the holy fire of Jesus Christ and totally dissolved. We close every door, known and unknown, seen and unseen, and call them completely sealed in Jesus' name. Render this entire confession established in every timeline, age, realm, and dimension, past, present, and future, to infinity and from the beginning across eternity. Amen. Amen, folks. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially. <laughs>